welcome to When Women Speak Stories Worth Telling, a series of interviews with ordinary, extraordinary women sharing their stories, including answering three questions on something that inspired, a game-changing moment, and what the words When Women Speak say to them. Stories don't define who you are or determine the future, and yet they paint a vivid landscape of the world through a particular lens. That view can change in an instant, and there's something powerful in sharing our stories, learning and unlearning together, and setting them free, stripping us back to the essence of who we are. Who would you be without your story? Hello, I'm your host, Sarah J. Sanderson, and in this slightly different episode, we are joined by two guests, and the focus is on what was uncovered and explored during the Real Change When Women Speak course that was first ran earlier in the year. The second Real Change deep dive, which is called Real Change Into the Body, is about to start, and details to join can be found in this episode's show notes, so please do go check them out. Tia Ho is one of the guests today and I have had the pleasure of knowing Tia for a while now via the When Women Speak community and love her inquisitive nature and ability to weave complex ideas into simple frameworks that support change, healing and growth. It was great to have a critical thinker and someone keen to experience the wonders of our true nature take part in the first Real Change course. Tia's business is called Finding Mindful Now and its aim is to guide you out of your head and into your life with mindfulness. Links to Tia's work and to join her mailing list can also be found on the show notes. Tia was already connected to our second guest on the show today and recommended Amy Leah join the Real Change programme and I'm so glad she did. Amy Leah Tamburini brought such a deep level of openness and honesty, so much so the course took a deeper dive than even I was expecting. You'll get to hear a taste of that depth in this episode. You can also read in the show notes the beautiful work Amy Leah does and how her business Hum Consulting was born out of the desire to change the way different people and communities engage with each other and to remedy the disparities in health between different groups of people. Okay, over to the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Stories Worth Telling and yes I've probably already said in the introduction that this is a slightly different one because today I'm joined by not one but two guests and these two incredible women joined me on a what became a really (laughs) fascinating six-week deep dive into the foundation of real change and we we went to some unexpected places and um i'm sure that that will that will come up in the conversation um but first of all what i thought would be nice is that part of real change we used to get together um and have calls and at the start of the call we'd do a check-in so that's what i'm going to do as a way of saying hello to our two guests so yeah Let's check in. So I'm going to demonstrate how we do the check-in and then I will call you by name to check in. So I'm Sarah, I am here and I'm just going to say like 30 seconds of how I'm feeling in the, in the moment. So I am nervous <laughs> about um, this conversation purely because this is, it's different. I've never done a podcast in a triad before and yeah, I'm just excited though because I love speaking to these two 
gorgeous, talented, fabulous women. So um, that's me. Okay, Tia, over to you. I'm Tia and I'm here and I mirror that. I feel a mixture of nerves and excitement. Nerves simply because, um, you know, the mind talking about being heard publicly, I tend to get a little sweaty palmed about that and then excited because it's great to talk to to both of you always welcome tia and amy leah hello hello so good to be here i'm amy leah and i'm here i well am feeling very similarly i'm a mix of excitement and nerves i think The nerves come in because I really haven't talked about, I think, what we're about to delve into in a public way. And the thoughts are really still new for me as well. So they're developing. And it's rare for me to just speak those words out into the world without having put a lot more thought into it. So that feels, you know, nervous, but also very exciting because I, I think this is such an important conversation. And... I just love the two of you. So, <laughs> Welcome, Amy Leah. And yeah, I, I hear you because in our calls that we had during Real Change, obviously they were completely private and we, and we knew that we were in this sort of safe, safe space just to say whatever was going on. And, and now who knows who's going to hear this? <laughs> that is edgy. That is edgy for sure. Um, Okay. As always, though, we are going to follow the usual stories worth telling, um, questioning. So we ask podcast guests three questions. So, Tia, I'd like to start with you um, with the question of what do the words when women speak say to you? Because I'm because Tia, you've been around when women speak for a while. So I'm kind of curious as well whether what when women speak says to you, whether that's actually changed Yeah, I joined the When Women Speak Leaders Community, I think it was about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, something like that, August or September last year. And I think the meaning of that phrase has deepened over that time. So if I had to sum it up, I would say that when women speak, those words mean life expressed or life expression. And I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have articulated it that way a year ago. I was, I was drawn to just, it's hard to really put a finger on it. Um, There was just something fresh and unique that I just wasn't seeing in other places that wove together leadership with what I consider a spiritual you know, um, maybe container, or I don't know the best word for it. But, um, and I know that spirituality isn't advertised, that's not necessarily something that that's part of that. But there was just a philosophy, an understanding that, that we are more than um, our identity, we're more than whatever boxes society has conditioned us to put ourselves in. And that was apparent right away. And then over time, um, it just, yeah, the, the deeper it goes and listening to the different podcasts, the, um, stories worth telling podcasts, I can just hear 
you know, you point at this frequently, Sarah, that we're each an expression of life, right? That life, we're alive right now, life's moving through us, words are being spoken out of this particular form right now. And I hadn't really thought about it that way. And it just, I don't know why it's so cool to think of it that way, but it really is, right? Like I, I didn't rehearse anything before coming on today. I didn't, um, I mean, I looked at the questions again five minutes ahead of time and I jotted down just a couple things and I might say what I wrote down and I might not, but <laughs> I can just, it's clear that, you know, here I am alive and feeling my heartbeat and words are coming out and then life's being expressed. So that's, that's kind of a nutshell for me. Oh, I love that. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> not that there's a right or wrong answer, of course, but it, I, I really resonate with, uh, with, with your description there. And Amy Leah, what do the words when women speak say to you? Yeah, I think when I hear those words, a couple of other words pop into my mind immediately. One is transformation, two is courage, and three is sacred. Um, and I think transformation pops up for me because it brings me back to my own personal journey in my life and the, the journey I'm still on, um, transforming really from this super shy child who, you know, literally in grade one, my, my teacher called my mom in to say, you know, something's wrong with your daughter, like she does not speak. And that's, that's sort of been my starting place of my journey to where I am now, which is stepping more and more out into public spaces and using my voice and through my organization i do that all the time and so that's a very personal interpretation of of when women speak um, i think courage comes up mainly because i've been listening to so many women lately through your community through the links that we shared and talks that we shared in real change um, and just through other platforms where I really see women like courageously sharing their voice for the purpose of making a difference in the world to, to bringing, to transforming the world to another place. And there's so much vulnerability in that. And, but I think vulnerability leads to connection and that's sort of what we're seeking anyway. So courage really comes to mind as a, a key term and then, Sacred is probably stemmed out of our time together in the Real Change program, where I really think of the history of women and the history of us using our voice and, and not having those opportunities where in general, men have really been the voice of um, you know, centuries. And I have this image in my mind of like, well, what were women doing in, the, in these times of like when men were always on the grandstand? And I have this image of them just like gathered together, like in circle, having conversation, connecting, being quiet, like tapping into their own inner wisdom while they observe like all the things going on in the world and what was happening and the processing of that. And so when I hear women speak today, I, I kind of think it's like, we are tapping into that ancestral knowledge and bringing that out into the world. And so for me, that feels like a very sacred act. Mm. Yeah, that's gorgeous. I love the sacred part that you shared there and just 
the description you gave about about the well the men are kind of the they've been the voice and the women have been in circle and I kind of got the sense of a balancing even though they might have not been seen in the forefront but still this balancing one of the books that we we ended up reading as part of Real Change was Vagina by Naomi Wolf and within that book when she talked about what happens to women in times of war and, and, and how women are treated, it remind, it that really echoes what you were just saying there about the sacred, because there seems to be something around this, it's known the power of women coming together and um, being embodied, um, connected and the way to kind of destabilize a community would be to rupture that within women. I heard some echoes of what we were learning on real change in what you, in what you shared just there. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Oh, where do we go next? This time I'll start with you, Amelia, if, I'm, if I may. So what have you come to realize that could be described as a game changer? Oh, wow. Well, I suppose that comes back to what you were just speaking of in terms of us reading this book, Vagina, which really was not uh, the anticipated direction that I thought our group was going to go in. You know, like I signed up because I really wanted to, as a leader, learn to navigate uh, how to how to lead, how to be, what what skills I needed um, in this world of dismantling systemic racism and and all the disruption that is happening. And it was fascinating to me that like so quickly we veered into um, sort of intimacy. I can't actually remember how it came up, but I, for me, I think it stemmed through intimacy and then went into this whole uh, exploration of sexuality and, and what that means and the, the relationships we, we personally have with that. But I think the, where I got to at the end of all of that, um, which was quite a profound journey that I'm still very much on, like that was just the, the starting point of, um, of a really powerful exploration in, in my own life. But I think that what I have recognized is that to be leaders in this time and to really change the trajectory of the world that we live in and to do this work that is required of us right now that we do need to be creative. We need to be deeply in touch with our intuition. We need to be listening. We need to be compassionate. And that we really become that way through this deepening of our own spiritual practices and deepening, deepening of our knowing. I think that everything is connected. And I already had a strong spiritual practice coming into our work together. And yet the work that we did through reading that book and then exploring our own lives, me exploring my own life um, and the challenges I was having with intimacy and my own concept of sexuality and my relationship to that is that 
going there is essential. I, I think it's essential <laughs> for who we need to be as leaders, who we need to become as leaders. Because what became really aware to me, and you just touched on this, is that we have this collective trauma that has been experienced. And that trauma has been experienced by both men and women. I think we think just because men have typically been the aggressors over time, and you know, we see that in the Me Too, Me Too movement that, that, is, that is here, we, we've seen that in war when rape has been used as a tactic to dismantle power in communities. But that, that's also traumatizing. I think the question we have to ask there is like, well, what has that experience been like for them? And over time, what has it been like to be in this power over uh, position? Um, everybody is traumatized by this. So I think the big, the, the, the game changer for me was that the doorway to doing the healing and the spiritual work around that I think is through our relationship with sort of our root, our sacral sh chakras, the, that sexuality and the traumas that have occurred with that. Um, it, it feels like that is the <laughs> sort of the missing link to all the work that, that is being done. And I think there, there's a deeper calling right now anyways of deepening our own sense of spirituality with, you know, mindfulness and meditation being very mainstream these days. And, you know, people like Marianne Williamson running for president and uh, people like Charles Eisenstein, you know, becoming more popular, who's really big on this sense of interconnectedness. Um, and yet the conversation is still not going there. Um, and I think through the work and our conversations, I just sense that to be the leaders we want to be, to be grounded, to be creative, to be authentic and do this work that we do, we need to do our own healing and healing in our own personal journeys, but also reckoning with the intergenerational trauma that, that exists. Um, so that, that, that feels huge to me. And I feel like I've only just, you know, taken such a small bite out of that. Like I, I feel like there's a whole world and many, many people who have had this sort of lens for a very long time. And that I want to tap more into those thought leaders and um, um, spiritual teachers and educators. Uh, because I, I do think it is sort of an essential pathway for really creating change in the world. <laughs> Yeah, I 100% agree after what we we uncovered. I'm going to blame you, Amelia, because I think it was you that took us down <laughs> down that path of some comment that you made. Um, you mean thank, thank Amelia. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, no, eternally, eternally grateful. And it was um, Leanne Brooke-Tyler who provided some um, some support on that. And then within that, I think the book recommendation was in, was it within um the content that she provided so but yeah really opened up something like you say something huge actually you can't ascend without descending the two the the two things are well the two well the, the, there aren't really two are they it's 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 the whole so if you're only focusing on one then you're missing out on on what what also is part of the whole 
So this is a quote by Carl Jung. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. Um, and that's just not about a personal unconscious. That's a, co a collective, collective as well. So there's, there's lots going on in a kind of collective shadow that until um, there's this kind of tipping point of, of, of people looking in that direction facing what's in shadow it will just perpetuate it will just carry the patterns will continue repeat 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 because that's that's what they do so yeah okay Tia uh, what have you come to realize that could be described as a game changer mine follows kind of an extension of what Amy Leah brought up um and it's funny while you were talking Amy Leah I had this image of an iceberg in my head melting you know, almost like we see, we think we're seeing everything from our intellect and it's this top portion. It's just the top portion of the iceberg. And then there's so much more. But I think in using that metaphor, some people talk about that you just see the iceberg. But for some reason, the different realizations I have had feel like they're melting it. Um, and maybe it's just like becoming part of the larger ocean. I don't know. Um, I can't remember who you, Sarah, you recently recommended a book. I think it was called The Gift, but I'm forgetting the author. It's um, Dr. The Gift. Edith Edgar. Well, I don't know if I'm misquoting, but it popped into my head as, as, as Amy Leah was speaking, that what we can't feel can't heal. And that's some of the things that, a, a, so one of the game changer elements that emerged in the real change course um, is that <laughs> I started doing, you could call it like a pelvic dance every day. So I just pick a favorite song that I love that's like three minutes long and I just plop down and let my whole body boogie, if you will. But, but instead of it being standing, I really focus on moving my pelvis as much as possible and then imagining like the pelvis being the center and then movement coming out from there, sort of like, I don't know, energetic waves coming out of there or something. And um, I've, I've been doing that almost every day for the last couple of months. And it's, it's really wild. I feel like it has, um, it's another unlayering of, of, being in the body and feeling the immediate direct sensations that are before or or maybe they follow result of thought right like thought you know you're sometimes you're um one of the big game changers in my life in the last four years was reading the book um how emotions are made by dr uh, lisa feldman barrett and that is a complete paradigm she she created she put forward a theory in 2017 that she explains further in the book for folks who aren't necessarily neuroscientists she's both a neuroscientist and a psychologist and her research over the last few decades as along with research from others indicates that this old model we have of the brain you know when they when they, people talk about the reptilian brain or um your amygdala is your fear center or you've got a a newly evolved portion that controls this emotional center or something. Well, what the research is indicating is that your mind is a neural network, um, kind of like your, 
you know, your lungs are a network of breathing, you know, maybe that's not the best metaphor because it's in the same body, but um, you could think about tree roots or mycelium mat, right? Where, where it's this network and, and it, the networks are what generates thought and emotion and memory. Um, and it's, nev it's never in just one small section of the brain. And the four ingredients that the mind uses to generate emotions are past experience or what I call social conditioning and your current situation and then the body sensations and where you're putting your attention and their predictions always. So your, your body and your mind are moving faster. Probably, I don't know if I don't, I'm not, I'm not a neuroscientist, so I don't know if they can measure it to the, to the degree that I'm about to say, but they're, they're moving faster than we can really track. And they're predicting what your experience is before you actually have it. So, um, and that was such a game changer for me because I have, I have a, a diagnosis of having a generalized anxiety disorder. And for years and years and years, I thought that I was failing at life because no matter what I would throw at anxiety, cognitive behavioral therapy, I mean, I have, <laughs> I, could, I have, I have listed lists and lists of things I've done <laughs> to try to like control the emotions. And, and this book was just such a sigh of relief because I realized that we can't actually control it. Now she uses that, her, um, that speaker, she does use the word control, but, but I view it as managing or guiding or supporting. You kind of nudge, you can nudge the system, but like what the system generates at any given moment is not on you. You just, it's like, you're not in, you, none of us are in charge of our heart beating right now. <laughs> like, how would we even know how to do that? Right? Like that's life beating our heart and life is also generating thoughts and emotions in our systems right now. I'm just learning how to be with feelings. Like my, in, in what I'm doing in my business, Finding Mindful Now, I'm really inviting people to start turning toward their system rather than running away from it, which we're conditioned to do. We're all taught that emotions feel, certain emotions feel bad and you always wanna have a certain narrow spectrum of them, only the good ones. <laughs> You're supposed to avoid all the bad ones, which then would mean that your life would be pretty uh, mon monotonous, really. Part of the reason I wanted to be in the Real Change group was it just really hit me that I, you know, I've been working, Amy Lee and I have, were colleagues before this program, and we've been working in policy, influencing policy for, you know, a really long time. And my mind tends to want to look for what the root of, of challenges is. And when I started really exploring this idea of life living us, and then this idea, this kind of narrow idea of self-concept, which is just built into how we, you know, it's socially generated, right? We, our brains generate a self-concept in relation to other people. And children are born without one, right? They're, it's not until the age of three that even a self-concept starts to form. So that means they're just you know, laughing and running and playing and doing all the things that little kids do without a self-identity, which means to me, <laughs> I'm not really sure there's a certain limitation that the self-identity has. And I, I'm feeling like some of the transformation that's possible in the world is seeing through the limitations of that self-concept. And I'm just at the edge of that. It's really 
um, that's just kind of, I don't even know what else to say about that other than that it's it really it really hit me of like oh my gosh everybody's defending all the time or trying to protect all the time this really insecure idea I mean it shows up in my meetings it shows up all the time and on almost everything and you can you can have self you can work on your self esteem which is superficial and research indicates self compassion is stronger and more durable but even but even self compassion is still around this self that's constantly in motion it's moving throughout our life my world feels like it's been rocked over the last 4 years multiple times in multiple ways so there's a lot there oh and but how glorious to have your world rocked multiple times because that's um surely that's what it's all about there needs to be um this objective reality in order to play the game the difference is um identifying with it and and then limiting who you are by seeing yourself as just this finite body and mind. And you also notice, um, yeah, how, just in general, how people show up and, and just how prevalent it is, this holding on to this identity that looks so fixed and solid. When oh, you're reminding me. Do you remember, Amy Leah, that exercise that Sarah had us do toward the end? Can I share about that when we when you had us share with each other how the other shows up and I couldn't, my self identity is so narrow that it's like, I couldn't even fathom what Amy Leah was saying. You know, when Tia enters a room, this is what Amy Leah sees. Like I just couldn't, there were certain words that I was like, okay, maybe, but there were <laughs> other words where I was like, really? Because the self-identity, I think, is necessarily small, you know? It's, it's just how it forms and is shaped over time through our interactions. And then that's, that was one of my favorite, I know it wasn't until the very end of the program, but it was one of my favorite pieces because I just keep, like, it'll, some of Amelia, some of the things Amelia said will come back to me and I'll just be like, is that really what, like, what this form is? And then I just can't see it fully yet. You know, it's just so cool. Okay. Note to self, make sure that happens earlier <laughs> in the next program. <laughs> Brilliant. I've, I've actually done that exercise with women, in, or not women, but it, with groups of people at the very first meeting. Um, Oh, cool. And it was amazing that even after an hour or two of people sharing stories, how people could really reflect each other's essence. And so that like is that, so that powerful. Kind of it's so powerful. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. The, I got that from um, a leadership coach, Adam Quiney, and he, he's done a whole host of work on that over many, many years. I'm pretty certain he's writing a book, actually. So I will, I will double check that because if he is, I will make sure we link it because, it, yeah, it's, it's amazing, amazing exercise to do for sure. Mm, okay, let's move on to inspiration. So I'd love to know um, 
what recently you've you've seen heard that's inspired so amy liam i will speak um now i i had this well i had i've had two ideas in mind but unfortunately i've lost the name of the woman uh, or the person it was a link that you sent and it was her name was i want to say renee somebody but it was um the Sino, the sanofa do you remember this because i i sort of switched focus and went back to this the vagina book because i do think um i'm still working my way through that book and there are some key pieces that continue to inspire and intrigue me um and i think first of all was that when this topic first came alive for us, I noticed in myself that I had a lot of resistance to it. And I was like, no, 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 just give me the tools. Like I want, I want to explore the, the skill set and the, um, you know, go deeper spiritually in terms of how I need to be as a leader. But diving into intimacy was a real uh, stopping point. And that I felt a lot of pain around that. And so, um, and that was beautiful to be able to explore that with, with both of you. Um, but that book really opened my um, perception of the world and in a, in a number of ways. I think, first of all, just in terms of even her opening chapters with regard to uh, the biology and the neural pathways and, and how we are all sort of wired differently as women and um, that that discussion in and of itself is just so liberating um, and could eliminate so much struggle in the in a woman's journey and if we if we were learning these sorts of things having conversation about these sorts of things earlier um, i also thought the connection between um, those neural pathways and our spinal column and our brain was very fascinating um, and that that deepening of connection influences how our brain works and our creativity and our confidence and our trust and our intuition. And when that is damaged, that also, you know, has opposite and detrimental impacts. And um, I think that was just expanding for me as well. And then the, I think the other piece there, which I, which, which I already spoke to was, of course, this racket, realization that there is collective trauma um, around that. And where that has gotten me to, I think I, I'm curious about has that collective trauma, is that also the cause of this, like having a disconnect, has that also just led to sort of this global sense of separation and disconnection? It's like this major piece that we're not, it's not in our awareness or we're not courageously stepping into that conversation. And so, and separation and disconnection and what that has done in, in terms of our world, in terms of destruction and hatred and fear um, and sort of recreating this perpetual state of distrust and needing to protect ourselves which I think overarchingly is a spiritual crisis. It's, it's sort of like all of us are running around separate in ourselves, like so focused on that self identity um, and not allowing ourselves to awaken to this, um, you know, this knowing that, that we are all interconnected. Um, 
So I think th that book continues to inspire me. It continues to inspire me to do my own work. Um, if I do remember the name of this woman, and I apologize that I don't have that in front of me right now, but um, her talk was, was also very inspiring, or their talk was very inspiring. It was a, a conference, and I just I appreciated she was talking about uh, the state of racism and the construct of racism and how that has come about into uh, our world. And it, it really is like the manifestation of white supremacy and um, the and has been perpetuated in itself to to keep the the status of white supremacy mentality and behavior in place. And I was inspired by her just in terms of like this whole topic of when women speak and creating real change. In that she. She just, she just comes out with it right at the beginning of the talk. And um, uh, she doesn't mince words. She's not scared of um, offending, but she speaks also from a, a trauma-informed lens as well. And she takes a, the, the talk takes you on this journey of like, here's the status and then like putting it to the, the white audience in terms of what is our responsibility. And she too talks about healing. Um, and, and then swings it out the other side. Uh, anyways, it, <laughs> I'm not explaining this very well at all. I, I was inspired by her in terms of her courage, in terms of the fact that I felt like she was speaking um, through that voice of ancestors and ancestral trauma and um and and putting that wisdom out there into the world in order to create real change and i was in, inspired by her amy leo it was um Janine johnson and um it was a youtube video of her speaking at a conference so um the youtube link says sankofo reclaiming humanity joy and well-being for people of african ancestry so I'll, I'll put, I'll make sure the link for that is in the, in the show notes. Cause yeah, I, it was, it, it's definitely worth watching, isn't it? For sure. Fabulous. Thank you. And the same question to you, Tia, what's, um, what's inspired, inspired you recently? It's, it's interesting. Cause when I, I had a whole bunch of different things pop in my head way back when you scheduled this call and then in the, in the last couple of days, um, a poem that just always gives me chills, no matter what's been happening or when I read it is Maya Angelou's Still I Rise poem. And I think it connects a lot with both what I'm, Amy Leah was just bringing up, you know, um, both of us were really interested in thinking about real change and real transformation. And we were, we were starting from this point of thinking about racialized forms of oppression and, you know, both of us being in white bodies and treated by society that way. Um, and knowing that without people who are white bodied, really realizing this, this is a, I don't know, there's a, um, there's a wonderful um, woman who 
her name's Laura, Laura Knight, who I think is just doing a wonderful job. She talks about a holistic approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion training. And when I attend her trainings, to me, it feels like it's an invitation of rehumanizing what I think of as a dehumanizing process that white people have had to have in order to dehumanize others. So, so if you're going to, it's sort of that inside outside kind of thing, right? Like I've been really looking at all the various forms of internalized oppression that show up through thinking, right? Like through the self-concept of just, of just shutting down and containing and cutting off and, and, uh, for sure not liberating um, and then how that ends up being reflected outward. There was a great set of questions, Sarah, that you sent to like, I can't remember which group it was in. I'm in several groups with you. So I apologize. There are questions like um, if you were to have a barbecue or a picnic, you know, who, who would, who would be attending and would there be anyone in there? And I'm, I might be messing this up. Right. But, but would I feel safe? around there? Would I feel comfortable based on who's showing up at, at, at your afternoon party kind of a thing? And you've also brought up questions about, are there people in our lives who we don't allow to show up and speak the way they, they whatever speak, you know, whatever expression needs to happen right in that moment. And I've definitely caught myself saying, oh, no, you're talking too loud or whatever it might be. Oh, 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 self-concept self is, sh is shutting in and it, no one's attacking anybody. It's just the, you know, the volume's higher, right? Like that's not, that's not offensive, right? And, and just seeing different ways the, that oppression can manifest from inside out and, as part of the impression we've internalized as well. Um, that's part of a dehumanizing process, right? Like, I think that um, in, a, in my own process to try to look into my genetic background, I didn't know who my father was. And I started exploring that a while back and tracing some of those storylines. You know, it really hit me how much um, various groups in Europe were brutalized and mass forms of genocide granted thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, but then we're continuing to carry on all of this role of an, of then an oppressor as we got closer and closer in, in more recent history and then turn that onto, you know, black, brown, indigenous, black, brown and indigenous people. And I know I started thinking about the, the still I rise poem because there's just something in there about life continuing to express. And, and, and of course it's, it's Maya Angelou, like who, I don't know anybody who doesn't love Maya Angelou and her, her words in that poem, I can just sit with them and reread them and the depth of them and the metaphors within them are just, yeah, they, it, it, has left an impression and I go back to it regularly. So that's, that's the offering that I'm bringing forward. And I tried to connect it, the dots with some of the things that Amy Leah was saying, just because I feel like they are connected, but I just really like that poem. 
they are connected to you. And I also love that you always bring that to the table. You always weave in um, the connections between conversations. It's beautiful. It's such, it's such an amazing, amazing gift that you have. Um, so long may you, may you do that. <laughs> so as we move into the sort of final part, I really, really want to hear about what you're engaging in, what you're doing. Amy Leah, what are you engaging in and, uh, and have you been able to weave in anything that's, that's happened in real change? Or is, is it still quite a kind of personal in, inward exploration still at the moment? Mm-hmm. Great question. The one program I just launched and just filled up is a women's leadership circle. And that was, it really inspired by our gathering together And also, I think my just deep commitment to wanting to create change in the world and really thinking about, well, how do I do that uh, broadly? Because I, as an individual, can only do so much. So what I came up with was a space for women who are also change makers to gather together and um, create that space for them to really tap into their hearts and, and tap into their intuition and hear from the wisdom of other leaders who are also in similar circumstances, very different contexts, but in those leadership positions. And um, that in terms of how, how what we have brought forward might weave into that, I have made the topics of our eight weeks together sort of broad. I've certainly brought in topics of, you know, um, love. What does love look like in leadership and um, looking at uh, like a feminine energy versus masculine, that that spectrum of energies and how that will, how that plays out. Um, And this will of, of course be in the back of my mind and I'm curious to know it if, if it will naturally evolve out of the conversation as it did with us. Um, I can feel some internal sort of like, Oh no, that's, that's too big. <laughs> like don't go there. People will be squirmish. And yet I don't want to, but I know that's just fear and a, a holding back. Um, and and caretaking in a lot of ways. And, and I think because I am so deeply committed to, to creating change in the world that I'm going to challenge myself to be brave enough to bring it into that space if it feels like a, a safe space in which to do that. So yeah, I'm very excited to see what evolves. Fabulous. And you said that that one's already booked up, but um, I'll make sure that there's um, ways to connect with you on the show notes, but if you wouldn't mind saying where people can find you in case they want to go straight there without going to the show notes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, well, in the show notes, there will be a link to a wait list for the next women's leadership circle. And so people can read more about that experience there. And then my website is hum consulting hum with one M ca and on there there's a link to sign up for my monthly newsletter and there i'm really just providing tools and tips and an inspiration for change makers to keep doing the work that they're doing mm. and you said ca there so um just briefly where where are you in the world 
Amelia. Oh, yes. I'm in uh, Victoria, British Columbia in Canada on the West Coast. And uh, yeah, so great, grateful to be here on the, the Songhees and Esquimalt territories. Mm, wonderful. Yes, I've, I've heard that it's a, a gorgeous part of the, of the world. <laughs> and Tia, what are you currently engaging in at the moment? Well, I'm still exploring how to integrate kind of what, I'm learn what I learned in the Real Change program. The most basic piece of it is, is feeling more, paying attention to sen sensations. And that actually works well with the business. Um, why the business is called Finding Mindful Now, and I guide people out of their head and into their life with mindfulness. And one of the main pieces I'm focused around is helping people understand and reclaim their emotional capacity. So being able to feel how you're feeling and notice when the mind goes into some judgments um, is one of the core pieces. And this, I feel like it, it's kind of, you could call it a root of some of that. Um, one of the clients I'm working with now, I invited her to develop her own I, I made up three different pelvic types of motions, you know, like what, combining them to, you know, and I just talk about it as a type of release or an ex, a body expression because that's kind of how it feels to me is it's just, it's just um, tension moving through the body sometimes and sometimes it might be, it might bring emotion up and then you didn't even know that that emotion was there, but it moves through you now instead of in a conversation that's challenging later, right? Um, I'd like us to not be shaken up seltzer bottles that then explode on each other. So, so I think that's, that's kind of the main piece that's part of it. Um, I'm still, I mean, I'm involved in a number of pursuits, um, but it's not, it's just as Tia, not necessarily as the business. So I'm still thinking about, um, how to incorporate this more firmly in, in the work I do through finding mindful now brilliant um and just before before we um head off I'm, I'm curious for anybody considering doing real change in the future because i will i will definitely be <laughs> be launching it again so yeah i'm just curious what you would say to somebody considering joining something that yeah potentially is a bit edgy <laughs> but or or maybe saying what yeah what you feel is one of the top things that you got out of taking part uh tia you know when i when i ended up visiting um some land in northern california and seeing how it was a it's a particular stream or a river that was not doing well in terms of health. And then I was reading the chapter in the vagina book on war and how, you know, women were brutalized as a tool of war to take over communities. Um, I think that's an example of something that's, it's edgy in the sense of it's deep and being able to see this connection you know, our bodies to this larger planet we're on and this larger world we're part of um, 
it's so easy to separate those things and think that they're, they're not related and um, I don't know, to compartmentalize the issues we work on. And I feel like one of the pieces that just got deeper for me in that program is just seeing, and there's just no way around it to say that, oh, well, it's all connected. I don't mean that in a trite expression, but it really is. Like it just, you can start to feel it really deeply. Like that's what happened with me is that I just, I can still feel it, <laughs> you know? I can just, just feel how we're, um, Yeah, we're, it's, uh, I guess I want us to reclaim some of our innocence and that's part of reclaiming our power and um, being able to see past these socially conditioned oh, forces that, that keep us disconnected from each other, from our bodies, from, uh, from the systems that support us. Um, I just think that anybody who's, you know, the description you write about real change is very clear. <laughs> so I feel like anyone who's drawn to the description, I just encourage them to, to trust whatever their intuition and feelings are saying to them. Because we, if, if there's one take home message that just keeps getting louder and louder in my head, the last few years is, is really trusting the wisdom that's inside of us and, and, and being able to uncover it because it's, um, it's there. It's been, it's been guiding you your whole life without you necessarily realizing it. Yeah. And, that, and that's a lovely thing to, to remember as well, that, um, wherever, whatever's going on, wherever you, you are, it couldn't have been any it couldn't have happened any other way, you know? Um, and that's, that's always, I always take comfort in that, that it couldn't have happened any other way. And there's always, um, there's always, yeah, room to open to, to feeling more, knowing more. And Amy Leah, yeah, what, what have you got to, to say about real change? First, I so appreciate what Tia said. I think that was beautiful and Tia, this gathering together together again is reminding me of how beautiful a storyteller you are i'm always so drawn in and, and i'm so curious to see where you're going to go i love it um i feel like i think building on what tia said you know this this whole concept of we are all connected of course you know we're, we're starting to hear that but not feel it in our bodies and not and I don't know how many of us know it like know it in our bones and in our blood and I think this program what you the space that you create Sarah the safety of it the sacredness of it the fact that you know you literally it's, it's not even like you gave us a question and um we're like you know had, had topics and whatnot it's it's literally you open the floor and let let quote the women speak and that practice of tuning into ourselves and really trusting that voice that bubbles up out of us is so sacred 
it is ancestral and i do think um to for the for those people that that really are seeking that deepening that even even a deepening sense of connection um a deepening ability to create change in the world um, a deepening ability to show up for the families and um, all the people in our lives. I think practices like this are essential and can really transport us uh, light years forward in such a short period of time. And I always find that in circle, like I, I have revelations in circle that I do not have in counseling, that I do not have with a coach. There's something about this, the energy of this space and I think um, if, if, if I think like Tia said, your intuition will know. Like I signed up for this, like within the second that Tia sent me the. <laughs> the I remember link. that. <laughs> yeah. And I hear women signing up for my, my women's circle in the same way. I was just like, oh, I just got this feeling and I did it. And I find when I follow that path in my own life that, you know, that's where magic happens. So yeah, that's, I, I love it. It's, it's such a sacred and it's such a gift. Mm. Really appreciate hearing your words, Amelia, and yours, Tia. And I love that, that you brought it back to when women speak, because sometimes we, we, can, we can think that we need to add lots of things. If we're running, running a group, facilitating a group, oh, you know, to, to have as much value, I need to include this and I need to include that. And, and actually, sometimes it's about what you remove, what you allow to be birthed into that space. Because if there'd have been lots of things jam-packed full, maybe mm. the, the journey we went on, there'd have, there'd have been no space for that. But because it was a, a wide open space, we were able to pour ourselves into it and see see what emerged and and it it was beauty that emerged and i thank you so so much for being part of it i i absolutely loved our time together and um and yeah love to continue be being part of your journey your lives and um yeah supporting each other so thank you so so much for joining me today on stories worth telling <laughs> loved it absolutely loved it Thank you for having us, Sarah. It's beautiful. Yeah. If you would like to find out more about When Women Speak and keep up to date with everything that's going on, then please join our mailing list over on the website, which is www.sgn.com. That stands for When Women Speak Global Network. 